welcome, man. I, I sure appreciate you seriously taking the time. I, I know you're a crazy busy guy. And um, in fact, I think I only met you that one time at Sebastian's wedding, but <laughs> sure appreciate you being willing to meet with me. Hey, it's glad, I'm glad to be here and I'm glad to be alive. Any day that you wake up is a good day. So there's no such thing as bad days. I, I agree with that. I agree with there that. There are challenging days. Today's been a very <laughs> challenging day for me, but it, it's not a bad day. No, I, I hear you. you Glad uh, to be here. Good. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Now, I, I don't know a ton. I mean, I've just I've just heard little bits and pieces, but and then doing a little research before the interview. I mean, what what different businesses are you involved in currently? Well, I own Fortress Credit, which was America's first paid mm -hmm. on results credit repair company. So I've been in business. That company's been around 14 years. I own wow. Fortress University, which is an accredited financial education uh, company that is now at San Diego State University, Colorado University. Forbes is using it to teach people about credit in their business program. And so is the mm -hmm. US military. So and then I no own way. some real estate companies and some credit monitoring companies and a marketing agency. And, but mainly, uh, mainly financial stuff. I have a couple apartment complexes, but mainly money, credit, taxes. I teach people about those things. Now, what about cars? I, I've heard something about some, some fancy cars. Is that true? I got a few cars. Yep. <laughs> I have a few cars. I'm uh, buying a house here next month in Eagle that has about a 20 car garage or I, it's got a big shop oh, and a six car garage already, but uh, I can probably get 20 cars in there. So we'll Holy see if smokes. I can fill it up. Well, so how did you, how did you even get into the car space then? What, what was the story on that? Just always been a car guy? You know, I grew up in Parma. Have you ever been out to Parma? Uh, I haven't. I know. I've, I mean, it's, it's out in your Boise, isn't it? All right. It is about an hour east of Boise. So I grew up in a little shack. It's still there today. It was someone's storage shed that my parents turned into a house. And mm -hmm. uh, no running water, no electricity. We got our food out of a dumpster. Uh, every Tuesday or Wednesday after school, we'd go there and climb in the dumpster and get our food. And then we'd eat whatever people would give us, including government cheese and the other crap. When uh, Back in the day when they actually made you feel bad for being on food stamps, uh, now it's just kind of part of the thing. I, I'd but, never heard anything about this. So when you were younger, that was that was life. Oh, yeah. I grew up until I was 15 years old. I didn't even live in a house that had electricity or even a floor. No way. My bedroom that I shared with nine siblings was smaller than my master bedroom closet. Hmm. So um, I grew up really poor and I grew up around horses. And, you know, um, I left home when I was 15 and I kind of got into cars and I like cars and I've, I've liked them really since I was 15 years old. Uh, in fact, I remember when I was like 11, 12 years old living in Parma the guy that we, we lived at his ranch, it was 80 acres. It's still there. It's a junkyard, literally a junkyard. And he had hundreds and hundreds of cars. Um, mm. And I remember going and getting in these cars when I was a little kid and pretending I'm driving them and pretending they were all nice. And I remember when there was a, a convertible, you know, I fantasize about driving this convertible and 
you know, in California on the beach or on the yeah. Pacific coast highway. So, uh, I've always, I've always liked cars. So I've owned lots of cars and I'll own lots, lots more cars. <laughs> I had no idea. I'd never, I'd never heard that before. So you were, you were raised at, in uh, about the roughest of circumstances. What, what about your, so what was your family life like then? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, we got the shit beat out of us every couple of days and we were tortured and starved and left in the sawtooth mountains in the summertime and running from the uh, state authorities every year. And we'd move. If we weren't there in the shack, we would go up in the mountains and hide out tell social services stop looking for us that kind of thing so i, I left home when i was 15 and then mm. okay. uh, got a job when i was 15 years old and started getting coached and mentored by a, a very wealthy man and um ended up getting hired with the fire department become a fireman and then started mm -hmm. running companies on the side okay so you've got abuse and then running from the social social services and so, Sawtooth Mountains, you would go up there to hide? Is what you're saying? Uh, we'd go up there to hide. And then my uh, stepdad, one of the things he would do is leave me and my one brother up there for a couple weeks at a time to teach us how to live off the land. <laughs> so, uh, how old were you when this started happening? Uh, 10 years old. So, about 10 to you, you and, and how old was your brother? He's 10 months younger than me. So you, so a 10 year old and a nine year old are left in the mountains to, to learn how to survive. Yeah. And I'm still here. And so is he. So it obviously worked. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. Weren't were you in the military as well? I was. Yeah. I joined the military when I was 17 years old, went to basic mm -hmm. training, uh, in June, 1990. And during basic training was when desert storm started mm -hmm. our Iraqi freedom. And, uh, Spent 15 years in Army National Guard on a medevac helicopter. Okay, no way. So were, were I remember you when overseas? I did my, what's that? You were overseas? I didn't, I never went overseas. We got activated five different times to go overseas, hmm. but uh, I ended up never, never going. So was military life kind of a reprieve from, from your home life or, or was it still pretty hard? Hey, look, I, I left home when I was 15, so I don't, I mean, it wasn't really reprieve. I didn't have it anymore. So yeah, once I left, I left. Uh, yeah. I didn't necessarily ever go. I, I didn't, I never went back. So. Um, and what number are you and your family? I'm the oldest. There's uh, 13 of us. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose, you know, that's same as my family, right? 13 yeah. kids and, oh, really? and I'm number two. So, yeah. So you took, so you probably had the, the brunt of, caretaker for your younger siblings as well as the 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 whipping boy a little bit as the oldest uh yeah you know one of the advantages yeah so i had you know the responsibility to take care of everybody but i didn't get beat up and tortured as much as my brother jeremy um primarily because i kept my mouth shut you know hmm. uh, my brother jeremy would just run his mouth all the time and he had a hot head and couldn't control himself so he he, uh, he probably got hit maybe a weekly thing hey. really so 
Jeez. Wow, that's crazy. I, I didn't know. So this this is maybe an odd question, but um, part of the life. Well, well, and it's that's maybe my question then is, do you? How do I phrase this right? Would you change it based on who you've become because of it, or do you do you credit it a lot to who you became? No, I wouldn't change it. I, I, no, no, I wouldn't change it. I mean, that's that's the thing. You can't you can't live life with regrets and like want to change stuff that happened yeah. big deal so what move on you know yeah um there's a lot there's lots and lots of people i had a lot harder than i ever did so it is True. who i am it's part of who i am and i don't really regret anything in life except i didn't get in bitcoin back when i first heard about <laughs> it that's about my only regret i'm in it now but i wish i would have a little, uh, little late to the understood. game huh? i wish the bitcoin people could have not tried to be so smart and actually explained what it was, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. most of them don't know what the hell they're talking about, and they make it all complicated. And I, I finally got an understanding of what Bitcoin actually is, mm-hmm. and um, that's probably my only one of my only regrets is not reading or not understanding Bitcoin prior to six months ago. <laughs> yeah. So, in your opinion, is Bitcoin going to continue to grow? Is it? Are we just seeing the the beginning stages of it, or is it is it going to maintain it where it's at? Yeah, I, I think Bitcoin's here forever. I think we'll see Bitcoin at a million dollars. It's mm-hmm. here to stay. There's nothing that the nothing people could do to stop it. The government can't stop it. The Federal Reserve can't stop it. The Rock Rothschilds can't stop it. The Obamas, the Bidens, the Trumps, and all of the elites that want to stop it will they can't stop it. it it's too late. Mm-hmm. They should have stopped it in 2010. Um, It's too late. So it's here forever. Um, I believe the altcoins will come and go, but Bitcoin will be the standard and it won't be what we trade and exchange with every day. So that's why we'll use the small coins. But as far as uh, going away, it's not going to be gold. It's going to be our new gold. I mean, there's look, there's, there's banks now. Uh, they're called mm-hmm. Spidey Banks. They're only in Wyoming. Goes into effect as of July 1st. So as of July 1st, there will be a bank in Wyoming, the only state that you can actually have a crypto bank. And essentially the way it's going to work is mm-hmm. you deposit your crypto. The bank keeps track of it, just like they do your US dollar. They give you a debit card. You use your debit card, your credit card, whatever. And then they settle it up once a month, just like they do with the credit card. But they're called Spidey Banks. Hmm. So I don't think crypto is ever going to go away. And I think Bitcoin why is there only one here forever? Is that because of legal complexity they're, they're struggling with? Because no one else has created one yet. Wyoming's the only state, and it's not hmm. even in effect. Um, it goes yeah. in effect July 1st. So as of this recording, we're doing this one on June 21st. I'm not sure when it goes live, but in 10 days, there will be an actual bank. Mm-hmm. in wyoming that you can deposit crypto into hmm. essentially I, i'd never heard that what do you think about xrp i think there's any anything there yeah i think if they can fix their lawsuit i think it's gonna be great yeah there's you know ripple i, I don't think ether is gonna go much higher than it is i don't you know ethereum is just so expensive um all my money's on cardano or ripple you know and 
look, if you want to day trade and you understand it and you can sit there all day long looking at a screen and, and dumping and buying, you can make so much freaking money. I have friends making literally millions. Some are making tens of millions of dollars a year. Day just trading, doing the day trading. Cryptos? Just doing day trading. I, I don't personally do it. I probably should, yeah. but I don't. Um, so I think Cardano, Ripple. Um, I don't own any Ripple because... Um, I, who knows what's going to happen with their lawsuit, but I right. have Bitcoin and have Cardano and a little bit of Ethereum, but I, I just don't think Ethereum's going to, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. With that. Polkadot will be another one. So between Co Cardano and Polkadot, we'll, we'll really find out who's going to step forward. Hmm. And I think in the next month we'll know. Really? That's interesting. Okay. So if, if you were uh, 20 to 25 again and is there, is there something that you would focus on that you would kind of make the main priority? I guess maybe knowing what you know now, you've had all this life experience to go back, rewind the clock to when you're 20 or 25 in that age range. How would you start setting up your, your financial future? Bitcoin. Yeah, obviously Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, the, people always ask, what's the keys to success? There, there is no key to success. It is a combination to the safe and only, you know, the combination. So you got to figure it out. Right. Um, but I do say this often, if you want to become successful and that's not what you asked, you asked, what would you do? But if, if I was going to go back and talk to myself, I would remind myself to stay in sales and to stay in leadership because that's where money is. If, if you're good at sales and you're good with as, as a leader, it's game over. You can go anywhere you want, anytime you want, work for anybody you want. It, it's all about sales and leadership. As far as the finances, I would, I would take primarily what I teach now, a little bit of Grant Cardone, a little bit of Robert Kiyosaki, almost mm -hmm. ignore everything that Dave Ramsey says and be more <laughs> a holistic financial process yeah. where I save more, I invest more, and I get a, I, I'm a little bit more aggressive with some of my investments. Um, buy less toys. I, I see that now a lot. Um, I see a lot of people, they make a little bit of money and they start buying a bunch of toys. And, um, you know, they're renting their cars, their leases. I, I, I know a guy's got five different, he's got five ferraris and rolls royces and it's him and his wife there's no reason for it he's doing it to show off because he thinks that's what's going to make him look successful mm -hmm. and guys with money they know what he's doing he's just leasing it you get yeah. a little hiccup and it's all over um so you know like with me i don't buy cars unless it's like one percent of my income so but i think to answer your question is I that an actual number that you money. have is a one percent yeah, Interesting. Yeah, I, I uh, live off of 10% of my income. Okay. So and I, the rest of you're dumping right back into reinvestments. 90%. Yeah. Okay. So and savings. I probably wouldn't, um, you know, there's a book called Profit First mm -hmm. that I'd highly recommend. Um, if I was a 20 to 25 year old male, it would be read the rat, the book called The Rational Male. Mm -hmm. I've the, heard of The it. Rational Male. And then, you know, study Robert Kiyosaki and 
pretty much all the rich dad, poor dad stuff. I mean, that's what I did. You know, I was 22 years old. I went to work as a garbage man until I got hired at the fire department. And um, I just started studying. And I really didn't have any mentors. If I had some mentors, it would have made things a lot easier. But yeah. yeah. How how do you recommend going about and finding a mentor? Find somebody that lives the life that you want to live. Mm -hmm. Find somebody who's already done it. And then stick with one to two. That's it. Don't, don't go and follow a million different people on Instagram and believe all their bullshit on Instagram because it's 90% of it's fake. It's funny. I I had a conversation with a buddy about this recently that there's kind of the guru complex, right? Where people, they get so wrapped up in being a guru that they kind of forget how to be actually successful. Um, Or often that they're, they're artificially stimulating their success because they're teaching it. They've got their five steps to perfect living. And so because of that, they're like, well, I'm teaching this. I better live it. And that produces some kind of temporary success as well as selling their courses. But they've never been independently successful. I feel like that's really common. Yeah, that's something that we see a lot of people making money from selling courses, teaching people how to make money. Right. And that's how they make their money is selling courses that teach people. how to. They've never made any money. They've never actually built a company. They've never actually had success outside of telling other people how to be successful. And there's so many of those out there. So you got to find people that actually live that lifestyle. So like Andy Fursella, my friend, Andy Fursella, the MF CEO, Mm -hmm. you know, Ed Milet, I'm going to be at Ed's house uh, day after tomorrow in Palm Springs. I'm going to spend two days with him. You know, guys like Ed Milet, Andy Fursella, Bradley, uh, these guys Mm -hmm. actually built businesses and they're not selling courses. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I sell courses. That's my entire business model now is selling online education. Yeah. But I made my money helping people with money, credit, and taxes and investing in apartments and running real businesses. And then we turned it into an education platform. Hmm. Has that been a good move for you? You think taking the education route? I think so because people need it. You know, we're not taught mm-hmm. about money, credit, taxes. We're not taught anything. It's true. It. So it's a huge need and it's a huge want. People want to know how to manage their money. Mm-hmm. And so it, it kind of fills that hole that I've had since I was a kid of wanting to help people. You know, part of the reason I went in the military on a medevac helicopter is to help people. The reason I went to fire department was to help people. The reason I started Fortress Credit was to help people fix their credit. So it kind of fills that need of helping people. And it's not just that one person. See, when I was a fireman, we'd get a call, 911 call. We'd show up. We'd help that person. That was it. Mm-hmm. We'd put a Band-Aid on it, at least right. save their life. Right. right. Um, and that was it. I never saw them again, never heard from them. For the most part, we never heard from them ever again. But with Fortress University, when we teach people about money and they buy their first piece of real estate and then they start buying apartment complexes and then they got real estate paying for their cars and then they're taking their family on vacations and they're deducting the entire trips. Yeah. Um, They stick around for a long time and we get to experience that with them. So maybe it's selfish that we do it that way, but 
we make money and we help people at the same time. So we like it. Yeah. No, that's a really cool model to have. So you were, you're, were t- you're saying earlier about sales and leadership, right? Um, I'm 25. What, what's the best way to, to develop those skills? I mean, I've, I've done some door to door sales and I've had some sales experience, but what kind of sales are you talking about? Um, like luxury type of sales or door to door, the mix of a mixed bag. Like how do you, how do you kind of develop that skill set so that it's useful? Well, you start with books, you know, there's a great mm-hmm. book called how I raised myself from failure to success by, uh, I think that's Frank Betchard, How I Raised Myself from Failure mm-hmm. to Success. Tons of books out there. Jeffrey Gittimer's got a whole series. You know, the Think and Grow Rich series, uh, Napoleon Hill's book. So reading Audible's great. YouTube videos are great. Yeah. And sales, any type of sales. You know, I learned doing sales door to door when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. One thing that I can tell you that my parents let me do which I do appreciate was selling candy bars and magazines at eight, nine years old in Boise, Idaho, just going door to door and then getting, getting the rejection at eight, nine years old and learning that. And then when I was 21, I started doing door to door prearranged funerals. So literally I would knock on people's door. (laughs) They had opened the door. I'd say death here. When do you plan on dying? And they just look at me. You'd actually, that was usually, actually your opener. You'd actually say that. To that them. was my opener. Death here. <laughs> when do you plan on dying? And a lot of people shut the door and I liked it because I got to go to the next person mm. because eventually people would say, excuse me, what are you talking about? Hey, everybody's going to die. I'm here to help you to make it easier on your family. So when do you plan on dying? I don't. Perfect. And then I would do my whole thing and I sold prearranged funerals. Mm. So you got to get really good, really fast. Yeah. So I think door-to-door sales is great. And I think yeah. anything with sales, if you go to the car dealership, um, anything is good. And it's the oldest profession, you know, known to man. Yeah. Some people say it's prostitution, but prostitution was sales. Right. Right. No, that's, that's probably spot on. What, uh, how do you, how would you gear yourself after that? You've done some door-to-door sales, you worked at a car dealership. How do you take it to the next level so you can actually get some Look, I would stay, sales? I would do the sales until you were extremely successful. Mm-hmm. If I was not an entrepreneur, and I've said this so many times on my podcast and, and doing other interviews, if I was not an entrepreneur, I would do sales. Because mm-hmm. the thing with sales you can make millions of dollars a year doing it. You have no overhead, no stress, no employees, no marketing. You simply just work for someone else and you can make yeah. a ton of money doing sales and have a really yeah. good life. And maybe if I ever retire, which you know I've retired a couple of times, didn't like it, maybe I'll do sales. I don't know. But uh, I think any type of sales would be good. And then work on your leadership. You know, John Maxwell... I'm going to see him on Saturday. He's by far the greatest leadership author on the planet, uh, at least according to. I'll be having dinner with him on Saturday. And, you know, start studying him. Sign up for his coaching mentor. I did that for years as a fireman. I had him coach me through his program. So, Mm. 
there's a lot of self-education. You know, I'm not a big proponent of going to college and spending a couple hundred grand to get brainwashed and hate, learn how to hate America. That's, I don't think that's a great idea. Right. There, there's nothing that you learn, literally nothing that they teach you at college that you can't figure out and do on your own on YouTube. My, my daughter's boyfriend is going through paramedic school and because of COVID he couldn't go in. So they were doing these classes via zoom and the instructor sucked. So he's literally teaching himself paramedic stuff on YouTube. So instead of going to class, which he does, he logs in, he mutes it and he just sits there. He's literally going to YouTube and he's learning how to read EKGs. He's learning how to do trachs. He's learning how to, you know, the symptoms of pulmonary embolisms. He's doing all of that on YouTube because his yeah. instructors suck on Zoom. So that's funny. I had the same experience. Everything man. you need to know is on YouTube. I, I had this uh, economics course and same thing. I mean, this is, yeah, it was, it was the same type of thing. And that's, I ended up actually dropping out of college because I'd spend all this money to talk to professors that a lot of them are just going through the motions, right? They don't really care. They didn't care about me. Um, and I'd end up at YouTube all the time anyways, or Khan Academy. If you're familiar with Khan Academy, it's like one of the best free resources out there for just great education, top-notch teachers. And they record all this stuff and it's all free and um, similar thing. Yeah. That's, that's kind of interesting. Um, so with, with that, then do you have any books that have had a ma massive impact on you? you? You mentioned rich dad, poor dad. Yeah, I, I have, I mean, if you come to my house, you would see hundreds. Um, I have hundreds and hundreds of books that I've read and I keep, um, hmm. I read 10 pages a day minimum. So I think that's something that's super easy. 10 pages a day will equivalent it'll eventually be or essentially be 12 books a year you know hmm. the average american doesn't read any non-fiction books after high school or college so yeah. i read at least 12 personal development leadership sales training books every single year if not more it's probably closer to 40 books hmm. uh, but there's so many so what i would recommend is go to my instagram page so at Rondi Lambeth, R-O-N-D-I, mm -hmm. Rondi Lambeth, and click on my link. I got a whole bunch of books on there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I saw that you had one kind of a One of my favorite ones on there. Uh, are, you, are you married? No. Okay. One of my favorite books for men is called The Rational Male. I had a so buddy just sure tell me about that. Are. Your buddy yeah. was telling me about it? Yeah, he's like, dude, you've got to read this book. I've, I've read some books I think that are similar. <laughs> and I, I think it's, it's kind of about the yeah. game, right? A little bit, how to kind of no. become a bit more of an alpha male and things like that? Uh, not really. The unplugged alpha is. Uh-huh. Uh, the rational male is, you ever watched the movie, The Matrix? Uh, I've seen parts of it, but okay. no, not the whole Long thing. Long time ago, it, it essentially, the, you know, technology killed all the humans or most of mm -hmm. them. Their humans are hiding. Right. And the robots are using humans for electricity. And so they yeah. program them and it's called the matrix and right. they have the red pill and the blue pill. If you take the red pill, you wake up yeah. and you see life the way it really is. If you take the blue pill, you stay in the matrix. Um, it's the same way. Um, Western society has programmed everyone to be blue pilled. 
Yeah. And you, you don't see it the way things are really happening. So this book, The Rational Male, helps you see the world through the red pill, through the red pill lens. So you really understand what it is that's actually going on. Is that is that saying on a life. political level on or so just it's primarily focus on dating? Strictly male and female interaction. Yeah. Okay. Well, and it's, it's male and female interaction. So it's um do you I, do I you kind of believe What's oh, that? go ahead. I, was I think ask, it's best, you, the best book that's ever written for men and all men should read it. Yeah. I'll need to, I'll need to read it then. So do you kind of, do you believe that part of the problem is that men have been essentially taught to believe that they are uh, pseudo castrated, right? <laughs> it's, I mean, that's kind of, I feel that's what society is pushing on us is that you kind of pushing down this mat any kind of masculinity. And, and of course there's, there's some toxicity that is there and you know, anyone could admit that, but um it's been interesting seeing that shift, especially in the last five to 10 years. It's been a massive shift um, with men being well, even afraid started, to be aggressive. You know, it really started in the early 1900s. Um, mm-hmm. It started with Kellogg. Kellogg, the founder of cornflakes, Kellogg's cereal, uh, thought men had too much testosterone. And he started a clinic primarily for Hollywood and other wealthy people. And he fed them cornflakes in an attempt to lower their testosterone. And since then, our testosterone is almost 50% lower today than it was in 100 years ago, primarily mm-hmm. through our diet. And so he introduced breakfast with carbohydrates. And when you eat more breads and vegetables and fruits, it actually lowers your testosterone. Okay, and so he did this on purpose to demasculate people. Um, and this, this, is guy this was that, intentional from the beginning. This was intentional. That, that was literally his whole plan. Literally, this was his thing, was to no lower testosterone in his patients. Hmm. And, you know, this, this is a guy that was married for 40 years that never had sex with his wife. And a lot of people believe hmm. that he, you know, he was gay and he got married and he was ashamed of it. A lot, a lot like why men go into the priesthood is they're all confused and they think that's going to make them right in front of God. Right. Hmm. So um, anyway, this has been going on for a long time. And then you have the feminist movement that starts and men are taught from a young age through Disney movies and other things that they're second class citizens. They're always second. And that our job is to protect everyone and we're disposable. Mm-hmm. And it goes along with the lie. I mean, I'll give you one. Men make more money than women. That is a 100% lie. Proven. Fact. You can fact check it. Women have higher net worth and women get paid more than men do if you take out all of the super dangerous jobs. Women don't do, you know, Alaskan king crab fishing. Women yeah. don't do lineman work and hang out of helicopters and, and women don't do super dangerous jobs because they're too freaking smart for us. Us men are dumb and we think it's cool, right? Yeah. So if you take out those jobs and then you consider all of the benefits, women make more money per hour than men. Women have higher net worths than men. Yeah. It's almost $5,000 more because yeah. when they get divorced, they don't lose half. They get half. 
And when they get married and divorced again, they get half of that person's estate. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to health, you know, one of the lies is men get better health care. It's not true. You know, they'll say, well, men get better heart health care and men get more access to surgeries, life-saving surgeries. It's not true. And the reason that the stats show it's true is because when men have heart attacks, right. they're in their 50s and 60s and they get surgeries. They do get more surgeries than women. Right. Because they're in their 50s and 60s, where when women have heart attacks, they're 70, 80, and 90, and they couldn't survive the surgery. And so right. the feminist movement has taken some of these numbers, manipulating it, and it's just a big lie. Yeah. Yeah. That's my opinion about all that stuff. Well, no. I, have you ever listened to Jordan Peterson? Absolutely. Yeah. I, and his, his debate on that, I, I really liked it because it, I mean, he's, and he's just logical. He's not trying to, he's not trying to boo anybody. He's not trying to even ruffle feathers. I don't think beyond just what's necessary, but that was the same argument. I said, listen, I mean, it's, it's multifaceted. There's multi, there's multiple reasons why in some jobs, as you're saying, men do get paid more. But I mean, I, I loved one of his, you know, his main argument was about disagreeableness, which is an inherently very male characteristic that we don't put up with not being paid <laughs> the same amount. We're like, oh, if, if he's getting paid more, I don't know why. And, and that's just not a very uh, feminine characteristic to want to argue with your boss over and over and over again and say, hey, I demand higher pay. And so it's just, yeah, kind of interesting, right? That we've, I, I agree, there's a bit of a, a narrative that's being pushed on, especially young men my age as well, about what it means yeah, to be the, a man, whole, what it means to be a woman, and yeah, et cetera. You know, and, and just all of it, it's, it's all messed up. Now, I will agree with this. I, I just finished book reading a book uh, last week called WTF. So it says, um, WTF does the Constitution actually say? And yeah. it's a book that has the whole Constitution written, mm -hmm. which is extreme. This first time I ever read the Constitution in my life, hmm. word for word, is extremely difficult to read because it was re written in the 1700s by James Madison, mm -hmm. our true founding father, by the way, who is, nobody knows who he is. He wrote the Constitution, wrote the Bill of Rights, wrote the Declaration of Independence, all of this stuff, helped create our entire country, yet he doesn't have a dollar bill, doesn't have a place in Mount Rushmore, and there's some reasons <laughs> why. Uh, yeah. Wanted to eliminate and abolish slavery when they wrote the Declaration of Independence and when they wrote the Constitution and the current political people had him remove it from the Constitution. So yeah. he wrote it. And so it's, it's written in the 1700s in legal speak, very hard to read. So this guy that wrote it has the Constitution on one page and then what it means paraphrased in English, today's English. So it was really yeah. fascinating. Um, how all of that works and how this ties in is look up until, and I can't remember what amendment it was, but women couldn't vote. Yeah. And, you know, we fixed it. I'm not saying that women were always given equal rights. I'm saying today they're given equal pay and equal mm -hmm. rights today. Yeah. And by emasculating men and making men feel bad about it, is not making things better. Yeah. And I, I see it. 
like when I was single, I dated girls your age and I'm almost 50 mm-hmm. and it was super easy for me to date younger women and they wanted to spend time with me because I was a manly man and they just weren't used to it because of way how, you know, guys in their 25 to 30 years old are, are raised right now. And well, and, and despite, despite the rhetoric there, there's yeah. a, there's biological factors going on. I mean, for how many, how many years of human history have women, I mean, this is, and this is super controversial and I'm sure some of the listeners will be mad that I'm saying this, but it, for how many years of human history have, have women been biologically programmed to always pick the most alpha man in the tribe? I mean, that, that was the most sure way to really survive, right? You pick the most likely to be, I mean, that's why traits like aggressiveness and people are like, why does, why does that girl pick that really douchey guy? And I'm like, well, there there's associations there, right? Like there's some biological associations with you pick the guy who's a bit of a jerk, but he can handle himself much higher chance of survival. What was that? It's It's called a hypergamy. Hypergamy. So the technical term, when you read the rational mail, you'll learn what hypergamy is and monkey Uh branching and why all of that is there. Hmm. Women want alpha males to breed with, and they want beta males to take care of their kids. Yeah. And so you'll see this where you'll see women who will have kids with an alpha male, then they get divorced or they never got married, but they're dating beta males that takes care of the alpha male's kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just how it works. Right. That's interesting. And they're, there's so many men out there that are willing to take care of some other man's kids. Yeah. So that's very interesting. Hypergamy. I'll need to read that book. It's funny. I, I'm like, my buddy was like, Brunson, dude, he's like, you've got to read this book. He's like, this will, this will, this is, it will change your life. So that's interesting. Change your life. What other books have, have had a massive impact on you? Is there any others that stand out? Uh, yeah, like, you know, Think and Grow Rich, of course, is one. Mm-hmm. Um, Love that one. I think two years ago, um, I got divorced. And up until then, so I, was, I got for, divorced at 47. Uh-huh. I, up until age 47, I'd always lived with someone. Either it was when I was a kid, I got married in high school, I had uh-huh. kids. So up until 47 years old, I'd never lived on my own. So uh, I turned 47, I get divorced, I live on my own. It was interesting for me. And it was quite the change and journey. And one of the things that really helped me in that is um, one of the girls I dated recommended a book called The Four Agreements mm-hmm. by Perfect. Don Miguel Ruiz. And I have since bought every single one of his books, his dad's books, and his uh, son's books. Hmm. And I've read every single one of them multiple times. And so anything written by Don Miguel, under books with Robert Kiyosaki's, uh, Michael Gerber's series, and then Profit First by Michael uh, Kalowitz. Mm-hmm. And then Rational Mail, of course, with Rolo's books. That's cool. Yeah, I, I've heard of the Four Agreements also quite a few times. It's, it's a solid book. Yeah, it's a great book. It's it really breaks down the four agreements that you make with yourself that most people break every single day. 
uh, with themselves. You know, my friend Andy Fursella started a program called 75 Hard. You ever heard of that? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay. A buddy of yours. Uh, yeah, Andy is a really good friend of mine. I fixed his credit in, back in 2012. He's okay. also a car lover. Uh, okay, cool. Except for he's got a lot more money than I do. He's got about... <laughs> Uh, he's got probably $50 million worth of cars in his garage. Mm -hmm. He's he's got like a Jay Leno collection. Kidding me. Um, But he created 75 hard and I I'm uh, on day 41 or no, I'm on day 42 of it right now. I've done it now. This Mm -hmm. is my fifth time. And people think it's a weight loss challenge. It's not, it's a mental challenge. Yeah. And it is to show yourself that when you make a commitment to yourself, you'll actually complete it because most of us lie to ourselves and it's interesting doing it because it will completely change you from that point forward. And it also makes you see other people differently because when you go 75 days straight and you do this program and you don't cheat, it changes you. And when you see other people, that are lying to themselves, that make, that negotiate with themselves, that um, never keep any promises and then make Mm -hmm. excuses to everyone else why their life sucks. And you start seeing it. It's almost like taking that red pill again. Yeah. And so I think that would tie in with the books as well. You know? Yeah. It's 75 hard. You can learn about 75hard.com a great program yeah I've, I've looked into doing it i i, I semi i started a version of it a you know a while back and it's it's a commitment though i mean it is that is a it's a it's a heavy duty commitment you know it's not hard everybody's like oh that's easy i can do that well when you take all five things you got to do and you stack them on top of each other it sucks you know yeah um friday night was it Friday night or Saturday night? No, Saturday night. Um, it, I didn't get my second workout in until midnight. I didn't get to bed until almost two. I had to get up at seven. Yeah. So because of 75 hard, or I could say because I didn't manage my time properly, I didn't get my both my workouts in before midnight. You know, and it, it does teach you a lot about yourself and time management and other things it's it's been funny to me because i've i've seen you do those crazy hard things and i think the biggest takeaway is you learn about your own breaking points you learn about your own psychology what makes you tick i i got into a i had a buddy one day he's like hey have you ever run like an ultra marathon before and i said no i, I can run like three miles like that's really my max out he's like hey you should sign up for this hundred miler that's coming up in like four months i was like okay you know, I was like, I, you know, we'll give it a shot anyway. So uh, for whatever reason I signed up, and I started having nightmares and I'm not kidding. I got so much anxiety about it. Cause like after I trained my first week, I was like, Oh, I'm not, I can't do this. You know? And I'm, I'm trying to, I was, I was pushing the limit. I injured myself like three times training for this thing over four months and finally um, did the race, didn't finish, got 50 miles in. And I don't think I've ever learned more about myself than in that 50 mile run ever in my life than just suffering that much and pushing yourself and again, commitment and, and I don't know, just sometimes it's down to little decisions, right? It's just interesting. Have you had things in that, in your life like that, that have, that have been pretty defining moments where you're like, Oh, that's who, that's who Rondi is. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, not, I think so. Yeah, of course. Um, I can't really, there's so many of them that it'd be hard Mm -hmm. to, um, you know, name one. I I can tell you a story though, about a friend of mine that wanted a challenge like that. So he signed up for one of those hundred mile runs on a a Saturday, Uh went to Walmart Saturday night, bought a pair of tennis shoes bought a box of Ritz crackers <laughs> and a case of protein shake. And then Sunday decided to start running. And he, he actually made it. Went oh into gosh, kidney man. failure. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, wrote a book called Can't Hurt Me. Uh, David, so Goggins. David Goggins. And now that's yeah. what he does. He runs these. Yeah. So David's a friend of mine. Um, you know, and he talks about the 40% rule and you were talking about it. Like literally when your body's, when you think your body's failing, you've only hit 40%. Yeah. So you just keep going, you know, and I, <laughs> I it, it's hard for me to answer that question you asked because of my, um, the childhood, the way it was, was so unusual and so hard yeah. that life today is just freaking cakewalk. You know, like think about this. If you went to your great grandfather um, and you were complaining about having to mow the lawn with the lawnmower and how hot it was, and he's out there with horses mowing it, or he didn't even have a yard, right? He was raking dust. So it's kind of hard to to compare that. But yeah, you know, David talks about the 40% rule. So (laughs) 75 hard helps you know really what you got how much further how much more can you get out of what you want yeah yeah that's it's it's really it really is kind of a cultural thing though that we've i mean same thing it's it's funny because i i'm trying to kind of you know reverse engineer my own psychology all the time trying to go okay so why am i why am i this way why am i that way right and a lot of it does come down to a convenience factor um that never have yet a generation as much as well maybe the one after me more so but this just hardwired for massive convenience, the easier, the better um, pain. I, I served an LDS mission in uh, Russia and that was just the funniest thing ever because I remember one time I, I got this cavity and I go into the dentist office and uh, <laughs> they just like, like literally shoved me back into this, the, the dental, you know, the dentist chair and they started just drilling, man. And I'm like tapping, I'm like, Hey, like, isn't are you guys gonna like give me some like kind of anesthetic or something? And they laughed, they just laughed at me. They're like, oh, Americans, and just like kept on just, just grinding away. And it just it was so normal. Another buddy of mine got like kidney stones or something, yeah. and he asked for medication, and they just laughed at him. They're like, oh, Americans, like again, it's it's it, you know, you have a culture that's based differently, and you don't re- you think you're tough until you go to people that are actually that actually know what suffering is, and yeah. then your whole perspective of what tough is totally changes. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. Yeah, hmm. for sure. What what do you what can you tell about networking? What have you learned about that? And and what's the best? I mean, you seem to have just amazing connections. How do you? What's the best way to develop a, a great network of, of of good people? I I think with it is is not um, when you go into a relationship, try to figure out what it is you want out of that relationship. And then make sure you provide more value than that person can provide you in the relationship, mm-hmm. you know, and it might take years. It might never develop into anything, 
and then don't burn bridges, you know, and that's probably yeah. my biggest weakness, you know, making friends and um, relationships is probably my biggest weakness out of anything. You know? Really? Um, just the way I'm, I'm wired. And so that's something I work on and something I, I struggle with and something I'm very aware of. You know, like the reason I'm going to Ed Milet's house on Wednesday is I wasn't going to. I was like, I don't need to go to that thing. Uh, I don't need to fly there. I got so much going on. But then I, you know, then it's like, but you're never going to build that relationship if you don't go spend time with him. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, not very many people, not very many people on this planet get to spend personal time with him. And there's yeah. probably less than a dozen people have ever been to his house. You know, yeah. Um, you know, Tom Brady was there. Joe Dispenza hangs out with him. Tony Robbins, still Sylvester Stallone was over there not too, too long ago. So yeah. um, I, I think with networking, it's really important that you network and you keep relationships and you keep track of it. And and hmm. uh, but with <laughs> that, be more interested. And what they have to say versus trying to be interesting mm. and truly want to help some somebody else. If you're tr always trying to figure out how to help someone versus them helping you and what you can get out of the relationship, if you're always trying to help other people, you'll have good relationships with everyone. Yeah. With with that, how do you add value? That's something I I mean I I try pretty hard to to keep good people around me. But that's one thing that, I mean, it's, if you have an amazing skill set, it seems, it seems easier, but I, I'm, I'm still pretty young and I'm still trying to figure this all out. So what's for a young person, what's the best way to add value in a way that's meaningful? It, it all depends. You know, first you gotta, you gotta strive to be the best version of yourself, you know, and you'll, mm -hmm. you'll pick up a lot of that through the rational mail, through some of the personal development books. If you, if you're focused on just becoming the best version of yourself, you'll figure out the rest of it. Yeah. You know, obviously, if you go to me or Ed or Andy or Tony or any of these guys and you're like, oh, what kind of value can I give you? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's anything that you could help me with. You're 25 years old and very little life ex experience. Sure. Right? Um, so I wouldn't... I wouldn't spending trying to figure out how someone value just mm -hmm. it'll just and so you can provide more value for people like at my level or higher levels than you by asking them how they got there and what, what you'll find especially when you get older but what i find right now is is most people your age don't ask how mm -hmm. we got there they just want to know how they can get there tomorrow how can they get on their phone right now and make a million dollars and skip yeah. all of yeah. it, right? There's no elevator to success. It, it's literally climbing up a mountain. Yeah. One step at a time. You can't skip it. And so that's how you provide value is ask them how they got there. Mm -hmm. And they will love explaining that to you because that gives them value. Because most of them, once they get there, they want to help other people. And it's so yeah. rare that anybody asks for help, that it is um, a breath of fresh air, if you will, that someone actually wants some help. Yeah.
That's awesome. So that's how, that's the value I would add is yeah, finding out how you can become a better version and how they got to where they are. Probably also helps. Them. Probably also helps create some meaning out of. I mean, I think I think everybody wants to create meaning out of their suffering. Not, not even just create it, but they want to see the meaning out of their suffering. That you went through all this crap to get to where you're at, and it's it's I guess probably valuable to look at someone and say, "Listen, I can I can help you avoid some of these pitfalls." I suffered, but you know, and you're going to suffer too. But there's probably some you know some value in knowing that other people don't have to go through all the same crap that you did. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's awesome. Well, uh, maybe, maybe one last question here would be, um, I think I, I feel like in, in, in life, we always have phases, right? Where you, you kind of go through a certain episode. I mean, maybe for you, it's this, it's, a, it's the, the phase of being single. Um, but I always, for whatever reason, find that myself and others, you know, we, we attach a lesson usually to a certain chunk of our life. Um, you know, I, I know that maybe the last three years of mine were one of the big lessons I learned was maybe what loving people means and the power of it, right? That love kind of helps people overcome their own trials. Is, is there, is there a lesson that you're learning right now over this phase of your life? That's been pretty significant. I think the lesson that I'm learning right now is slow down a little bit. I, one of the things that Ed is teaching and Ed is, is coach and mentor me right now. And it's be, Ed's thing is be in a bigger hurry, be in a bigger hurry, get it done faster, get it done more. And I think for me, it's slow down that we don't have to do everything all at once that we should make, I should make smaller goals and smaller increments of it. But that's mm -hmm. me personally. And yeah. what Ed is saying is most people need to speed up. But if you're already going a couple hundred miles an hour, I, I think you need to slow down a little bit. And that's where I'm at is I need to slow down a little bit. Hmm. So, so maybe speed up or slow down then based on where you are in your life. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm at right now. Probably. I think that's it is slow down, spend more time with people create better relationships and friendships and uh, enjoy, enjoy a little bit more than I am. <laughs> That's cool. I love that. Well, Rondi, thank you so much again for taking the time and I appreciate it. Do you have any other, any other parting thoughts or anything else that you, I mean, most of my audience is probably 20 to 25 is the core of it. I'd bet. Do you have another parting thoughts you'd, you'd share to a 20 to 25 year old audience? Yeah, I would say, uh, one, get Rolo Tomasi's book, The Rational Mail. That's going to make a big difference <laughs> in your life. And then once you take the red pill, don't go back to the matrix. Stay out of the matrix. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, two, don't spend all the money you make. You know, you should be saving 25% of everything you make. If you start saving and investing 25% now, mm -hmm. when you're my, my age, you'll have millions of dollars in... Um, Hopefully you follow my advice and you set it up in tax-free retirement accounts and tax-free real estate. Yeah. But you'll have millions of dollars um, and you'll be worth millions of dollars if you just don't spend it all now. I think that's a big mistake that I made is up until probably five years ago, I spent everything I made. Hmm. 
and I'd reinvest it in the business over and over again. I'd make a thousand dollars. I'd put 900 back in my business and live off a hundred. And um, I should have taken it out, out of the business and put it elsewhere. So five years ago, I started doing that and it's, it's really made a big difference. So I would say, huh. um, read the Relo Tomasi's, get a, get a um, daily exercise workout routine and, mm-hmm. and read every day and just try to become the best version of you that you can be. That's cool. I love that. Well, thank you uh, again. Appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you back. Good to be here.